I just thought, when I get cancer, I'm going to cure myself through natural methods. And, you know, I'll be Matt who cured his own cancer and I'll write a book and have a podcast and, you know, and everyone will think, oh, this guy's a legend. He cured his own cancer and I'll help other people cure their cancer. And it didn't turn out like that. Hello, my name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I'm speaking to Matt Radford. Matt is a physiotherapist, acupuncturist, traditional Chinese medicine doctor and the founder of Centre of Health Ivanhoe. With over 30 years of clinical experience, Matt uses his unique range of qualifications blending Eastern and Western medicine to take a holistic approach to health and well-being. Matt has worked and studied in China and has lectured at RMIT University, Melbourne University and Southern School of Natural Therapies. He was one of the first physios in Australia to incorporate Pilates into treatment, working with the founder of Clinical Pilates, Craig Phillips, at Dance Medicine Australia back in the early 90s. More recently, Matt has trained as a certified instructor in the groundbreaking Wim Hof Method breathing technique, which he practices daily and shares with patients. In today's conversation, we discuss Matt's experience with grief, opportunity and recovery after being diagnosed with cancer, what it means to be responsible some insights and lessons taken from COVID-19, the similarities and differences between Western and Eastern medicine, diagnosis versus holognosis, travelling the world, and Wim Hof. Thank you for listening to Moments of Clarity. If you enjoy the episode, please follow me on social media, leave a review, and share the episode with friends and family. As always in the age of Zoom, there are some minor sound issues that occur from time to time, but I assure you they do not last very long. So now, without further delay, I bring you Matt Radford. Matt, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thanks. If you wouldn't mind uh, introducing yourself and a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, so I'm Matt Radford. At the moment, I'm running a uh, physiotherapy and Chinese medicine uh, clinic in Ivanhoe in Melbourne, currently in stage four lockdown, which is proving interesting. And, um, yeah, that's, that's keeping me very busy at the moment. Has it been a, a radical shift in the way that you have to do things with stage four lockdown and coronavirus in general? Not, not a radical shift, but it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, like keeping, you know, trying to maintain the level of sort of safety and disinfection and procedures, you know, like trying to run it like an operating theatre when it actually it's a hands-on you know, a, a very hands-on kind of therapy centre is 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 quite challenging. Um, a lot of laundry. <laughs> we find ourselves doing a lot of laundry. You know, and washing it, washing your hands fifty thousand times a day. But you know, a lot of, a lot of people are in a sort of similar situation. But and and just also just holding that space for people. Obviously, you know, the most interesting thing about this time for me is is how differently it's affecting everyone like you probably find find this yourself like every single person you speak to has like a, a different circumstance or a different set of circumstances and 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 different challenge you know different challenges you know it's, some people are probably kind of enjoying it and taking it easier at, at home but most of the people I know are just they're just working their nuts off you know that most people it's it's actually been really challenging and especially if you've got that thing about people with kids at home and and juggling the homeschooling and the working from home and 
yeah, it's 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 quite a challenge for everyone and people with elderly parents and grandparents. Yeah, it's strange times, hey. Yeah, I, I know that I initially uh, was thinking, oh, it's a time to reflect and refresh and you know step out of the rat race and and take some stock, but. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, in theory, and, and maybe for me, but although I'm getting busier and busier, but, uh, uh, you know, without kids or without elderly parents or without certain commitments, um, that's easy to say. But for many people, work is often a, an escape from something even busier. It's it's not necessarily that rat race to the city where yeah, you're, I, you're barged in when you're suit and not enjoying life. You're actually, you know get some purpose and energy from work. So it's changed, you know, and, and from community yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for me, and I've realised more, I, I, I did know this, but I've realised more than ever, you know, work, work's my happy place. That's, I, I, I love to go to, I love to go to work. I love what I do. You know, I'd be pretty lost if I, if I didn't have it. It was, it was funny. Someone was asking me the other day because, but in, in 2016, I went through a um, uh, full-on cancer treatment. And, and, and you know, when you, you get cancer and someone says, look, you're cactus basically unless you do this full-on treatment, I went through chemo and radiotherapy. And, but, you, yeah, you, you obviously you do reflect on, okay, well, if I've only got this much time left, what would I do? And, and, and I realised I'd still go to work. <laughs> like. Like, and I'm thinking, actually, probably my life wouldn't be that much different. I probably wouldn't work as long, you know, work as long hours. But if if I was planning my ideal life, I, I think going to work and, and, and treating patients and stuff, it would definitely be a, a big part of it still. Yeah. Was that so that's something nice. that you would have thought if you hadn't gone through that? treatment and that battle and that realisation, you know, having your life sort of stood before you, would you have said that prior to that diagnosis? I, I don't think so, you know, because if someone said that to me, I would go, oh, really? That's... <laughs> but, you know, some, and, and it, was, it was really interesting because at the same time a, a friend of mine, it was a good friend of my sister's family, who was a fireman, he, he had the same cancer, the same place, which was in, a, in the throat, and um, went through the same treatment, but not with the same result. You know, I got a fantastic result, and um, and and I actually feel better now than I've ever felt in my entire life. Which is because I had the cancer. I'd had the cancer for um, my oncologist reckons probably at least 10, 15 years oh, wow. previously. But because I had such a sort of pretty wholesome, healthy lifestyle, it, it kept it at bay. So I'd sort of lived with it, and it gradually kept up on me. But but um, yeah, this other bloke, Diesel, what it wasn't so good. Um, his result, and they basically they gave him eighteen months after he finished the treatment, and um, and they and they said that even though they were like, well, you know, we know what kind of bloke you are, we could do these treatments, but it's not, you know, it's not going to cure it. So actually, we suggest you just spend some time with your family and tick some things off your list, and he did. He sure he he lived more in that in that last eight, you know that last eight months than most people do in their life. You know it was it was magnificent to hang out there for this guy. It was just a privilege to be around. You know because as he said, you know none of us none of us know when our time's up, and he's in the exclusive position of knowing when his time's up. 
and he he just absolutely made the most of it. Not not sit around going, oh, why me? This is terrible. He just he just lived. You know, it was such an inspiration. And so I, th- I thought that that's really that's really taking the gift from cancer. I reckon if you, if you can if you can call it that is is, is being able to just make them realize what's you know realize what's important to you and 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 make the most of it. Yeah, how do we and- go on to that? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great place to go because there's so much to unpack and to find out about ourselves. I, I guess through that, often people look for travel or look for, a, you know, a major event in their life that isn't so, you know, uh, life-altering in many ways to to make those changes. But yourself uh, and, and being able to overcome it, but then also others and, and was looking at Diesel. So you, you saw that diagnosis appear with him and then the... What was the journey there for him? I know you said that he ended up living it to the fullest. Was that an instant response or was there that sort of seven stages of grief uh, somewhere amongst that? Uh, I I really don't know. We didn't, you know, it wasn't that close a friend that we spent that much time together. So I don't really, you know, I was more looking from the out, you know, I was more looking from the outside. But it's interesting about the seven stages of grief. I read a really interesting article by a guy that had worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who first proposed these seven stages of grief. And he was saying that this, the whole response to COVID is a kind of a grieving process. It's a loss and a grief. And that really resonates with me because when what I'm seeing in myself, family, friends, my patients, is that it is going through a grief, but there's three there's three kinds of the grief. One is for the grief of the things, the things that we've lost. You know, like you know, for some people that's losing a job. For some people, I mean, it's terrible. Imagine losing my my cousin. It's my cousin's birthday. Hi Sue, and she just said like, it sounds selfish, but I I really hope my you know none of my parents because my uncle and aunt. They're, quite elderly you know I really hope they don't go at this time because you know like my heart goes out to someone who's lost you know lost a relative or friend this time because it's terrible to not have to grieve so there's that kind of loss there's a loss of our lifestyle of all the all the things that you know we used to be able to do and 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 some of those things have passed you know like my son's in grade six and all his grade six camp and all that exciting thing of being the top of the school you know like he's missed out on all that the poor year 12s, you know, yeah. all that. So, you know, all that stuff you missed out on. And then there's the, there's the grief of, of, of the loss of letting that go. There's the, and then there's the present loss or present grief of um, what we can't do now. And then there's also, the, and this is the weirdest one, there's a grief of future loss. We're, we're grieving something that hasn't happened or maybe won't happen in the future. Now, and the grief of future loss is anxiety. Mm. And, and so I, I think because we don't know what that future loss is going to be and what it's going to look like, we can't even start those seven stages of grief yet because we mm. don't even know what it is, you know, and that is anxiety. And and so what we're seeing is in, in as a society, as a collective, we're we're all going through this anxious, grieving kind of weirdness. And it's it's interesting because then another patient of mine who's gone through 
a, a really big cancer journey. It was a few years ago and, and she said to me, she had this sort of realisation, you know, she was cancer-free but she had a lot of sort of issues and complications from the treatment. And she said what she was, she was kind of living her life waiting for the time where things were going to be fine again when her body, you know, like when she'd be healed, when she'd be healthy, feel great, not have this pain, you know, and, and she was waiting sort of almost like her life was on hold until she got to that stage. And then she realised, hold on a minute, I might never get to that stage and even if I do, I've wasted all this time between now and then kind of waiting for it. And so she said, well, I, it's just more of it, it sort of hit her as a bit of a realisation going, hold on, now is now, I'm how it is, this is how it is, this is how my circumstances is, how am I going to make the best of this? And, and that was such a gift for me. It really was because I think that's how, I, I think that's a really healthy way to approach a sort of lockdown situation, you know, this coronavirus situation. Is it, is it, look, we may never get back to normal and a lot of cancer survivors, we all talk about the new, this new normal because you're never back to the same again. And so... If, you, if you're just waiting around for things to be great again like they were, you're, you're not going to get there and you're going to be in this constant state of grief and constant state of anxiety thinking when is it going to get back to that instead of actually going, well, this is the situation. How do we best respond to that? That's when you're able to respond. That's being responsible. Like responsible is being able to respond. So what you see in a lot of the media is people who are not being responsible from themselves. They're not able to respond. So they're having to blame this person, blame that, blame the government. Oh, the government's not doing enough. The government's doing too much. Oh, oh look at that other person. They're not wearing a mask. Or, do you know what I mean? And what that's doing is not being responsible for yourself and what, being responsible for what you can control personally. So if you're not able to respond, personally you're not being responsible so you're looking to put that responsibility on someone else because we all want to be we kind of want to be told what to do we don't want to be told what because we're like kids you know we're like teenagers it's like we want to be told what to do but we don't want to be told what to do so if someone tells us what to do we don't want to do that it's it's weird yeah, it's it's almost uh, we want to live with those boundaries set and, and with an expectation of we know what's ahead, we know what's behind us, we know what's around us. We can pretend we're in control, but in a way we're not. We're we're just going along for the ride in many ways. And it's it's so interesting. You touched on so many points there that I'd I'd love to get at, and I hope I can. I hope I can. So that element of control, first of all, is about as you said, being responsible, but living in the moment, actually being flexible and. I guess courageous enough to approach things as they as they come and actually say, what can I do in this moment to to make mm-hmm. a difference for myself, for for others, and actually take sort of ownership over over what's happening too. Yeah, and that seems to be lacking, as you said. I, I went through to two different cafes recently on walks, and one of them had spray painted all over there, not spray painted, but nicely written, "F you know Daniel Andrews, F the government, uh, the USS." 
USSV, you know, you know, uh, Socialist sort of Republic of uh, Victoria, you know, with the flag and the hammer and sickle and all of that. And then another one up the road from there that had a beautiful message written, you know, thanks for all the people that still come and support us. Thanks for, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, having a coffee, buying our bread. You know, this time is a time of solidarity. This time is hard for all of us, but we're here for you and you're here for us. Which yeah. cafe are you going to walk into? You know, yeah, that's it. Which person would you yeah. rather be? Who's holding hatred in their heart and who's holding love in their heart? And and I think that is how we can respond to any situation. And the fact is that those extremes of those two cafe owners um, mm. resonated with me to say, you know what, always have to choose love. Yeah, that's this fantastic example. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I found at the start. My my judging mind was just going into overdrive. You know, it, it, it's it's just so it's so easy to go. Oh, oh, they're not doing the right thing. Oh, then this is not happening, or, or or whatever. But we just have we have no idea what what's going on. You know what's going on for other people, and but what we can say is that no one's getting it easy. <laughs> mm. You know, and in this, no no one's having it easy, and and it's, and it's so. It's so unprecedented. It's so strange. It's it's such a strange time. It's no wonder people their minds go off into conspiracy because you think this this can't be. You know, this is so weird. It can't be real. You know, but what that really that just means we've lived in just such lucky, affluent, unprecedented. You know, comfortable time. Comfortable times. Because as a Chinese medicine practitioner, you know, and people go, oh, this, this must be a manufactured epidemic. It's like, look, epidemics were around a long time before <laughs> Bill Gates or yeah. 4G towers or anything like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not rubbishing those people because I like, understand where it's coming from. This is so weird, you know. It may as well be some alien plague or something, you know. It, it just seems very strange, but that's only because we've had such a comfortable time of it in some ways. Like it, the the Shanghan Lun, which is the the the, the classics of of cold induced disease, which was written by Doctor Zhang. It's one of the classics of Chinese medicine. And in the introduction, he says these are terrible times. These are terrible times. Of my two hundred, the two hundred and fifty of my extended family clan. Over 180 of them have died of these epidemic diseases. He said it's absolutely woeful. So th- these were just plagues that were just a, a-, a cholera, typhoid, um, encephalitis that were just, just sweeping across China. And this doctor was just watching his family and friends, you know, friends and, and his community. He was just watching them just drop like flies. And he, but he also goes on to say, you know, it's, this modern medicine's terrible you know like the doctors are just in it for the money and they just when, when they're confronted with a difficult problem they just throw up their hands and say it's a, oh, i don't know <laughs> so as one of my great physio mentors said to me maddie there's, there's there's nothing new there's nothing new in this world it's all you know you think this stuff's new it's all been done before Yes, and and all been done before uh, labs that were holding, you know, different uh, diseases that are, are there to actually try to 
protect us in many ways and sort of look into viruses and study viruses long before they existed. There were epidemics and epidemics that killed millions and millions of people. And one third of Europe was wiped out by the bubonic plague. Yeah. You know, you've still yes. got, as you said uh, recently, you've got typhoid, cholera, um, polio. You have these diseases that were ravishing, you know, destroying uh, livelihoods and lives and, and malaria and HIV AIDS and all these different viruses and diseases that still plague a lot of society. And we have just, well, as you I, said, we have been comfortable, you know, we have been lucky. Yeah, I, I looked it up, the, uh, I looked it up on, the, on the weekend and there's, there's over 700,000 people have died in the US alone of HIV AIDS. That's a shocking, huge amount of people. Mm. You know, and that's and then, and it's worse in in a lot of other parts. You know, in a lot of other parts in the of the world, and it's interesting. When this started, I thought, "Wow, I, I, Chinese medicine, because there's no there's no real cure cure for this, as like with a lot of, of viruses, where Chinese medicine has has so much has so much to offer, because we've got. I mean, this, this cold Shanghan Lun, the cold diseases classic that I was talking about. Dr. Jung wrote that in 212 AD. And we're still using that information today. There's there's like thousands of students who do their PhDs on it and, you know, literally millions of doctors treating hundreds of millions of people from from ideas in that manual. It's just been constantly refined and, and, and developed over the last 2,000 years. And I was thinking when I first started reading about this when it was coming out of Italy back in late Feb and I had a, a patient who I think was, it was probably was corona, it was COVID, who I was just treating with herbs like re- remotely. And I started reading about it and, and the information that was coming out of China and stocked up on the, on the relevant sort of herbs and, and, and I was thinking, gosh, this is going to be the challenge of my, like, of my professional lifetime to actually treat this because with a lot of diseases where there's not a good Western medicine treatment, often there is a, a good Chinese medicine, a, a really helpful Chinese medicine approach. And so I was actually, I must admit, I was, I was actually quite nervous <laughs> because because I was thinking perhaps I'm going to be called on and my other Chinese medicine colleagues will be called on to actually treat a disease where if you get it wrong, the person dies, you know, and as, I mean that that's not a foreign thing to a, a lot of Western medicine doctors, but for for Chinese medicine practitioners, we're not so much in that life. But you know, we're not treating often in those life or death situations. Although Chinese medicine can be really useful in that sort of situation, people are going to go, you know, they're going to go the Western medicine path, and so Chinese medicine's sort of been not pushed to the sidelines, but we've been left treating the more chronic tricky things that western medicine doesn't manage very well like like a patient i had today with who had um like chronic anxiety sleeplessness if just doesn't take hardcore sleeping tablets won't sleep you know for three days before he crashes out and you know it's it's a long quite complex history and western medicine manages the symptoms well like with with antidepressants or mm. tranquilizing medication which is super useful you know like it 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 does the the job but it doesn't cure it doesn't actually go to the 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 root of the problem and that's where chinese medicine actually 
is is really useful. It's that's the type of patients that I see in the clinic where they've tried Western medicine. I mean, they've used Western medicine, but there's nothing really like Western medicine. It doesn't have anything to offer them in terms of actually bringing them back to sort of optimal health. So it, it'll fix the actual disease, but it won't get you back to it, it'll get you back to no disease, but it won't get you back to like I'm um, loving life. You mentioned earlier that you were treated with, I guess, Western um, treatments for your for your cancer treatment, and, and that yeah. you felt better than ever. Was that was in association with other medicines, or was it with you know healing of of yourself through other means, maybe psychological means, or was it just physical, or were there psychological aspects to what you were going through and why you felt better afterwards as well? I I think it was a huge range of things. I mean, Probably first of all, as my oncologist says, oncologist said, "Look, you haven't got cancer anymore, so you're going to feel better." Because, mm. but it was, um, it was such, it was really, it was such a challenge, and and heaps of my heaps of my patients, bless them, because they, you know, know, you know, a lot of them know me pr- pretty well, and they, the, a lot of them, when they found out, the first thing they said was, "Oh gosh, how did you know? How did you feel about that having to?" go down Western medicine, you know, because they see me as some kind of paragon of virtue as far as health goes, but I'm absolutely not. But, yeah, but in, in, in the end I, I meditated deeply on it and realised that I couldn't fix this myself. And as, and as one of my Chinese medicine practitioners, my colleagues said, look, Matt, if, if, you, if you were in your 20s and you were living in, Bar, you know, you're still living in Byron Bay and, you didn't have any dependence. You could you could have a have a crack, you know, and you could throw everything in it, into it, have a go, you know. But you know, my oncologist said, "Look, Matt, you got an eight-year-old son. Suck it up, princess." That's mm. literally that was his words. It was, it was just like no, no choice, because you know this particular cancer was curable. It was not like okay you've got a 10% chance of living six months longer, which is the case for, you know, a lot of people are offered, offered chemotherapy or offered radiotherapy with a 30% chance of getting an extra six months mm. but feeling absolutely rubbish in the process. That's not, that's not a great deal. Whereas I was being offered the chance to, to cure this cancer. Of course, yeah, with, with some pretty hefty side effects, but... My my oncologist said his his mentor said to him, "Yes, this west this 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 medicine treatment is is brutal and it's got terrible side effects, but none of the side effects are as bad as the side effect of this cancer, which is death." Mm. Yeah. So, so when I realised, okay, I can't actually fix it. This is this has gone way beyond the. If I'd caught it ten fifteen years earlier, yes, I would would have had a go at it, but. This has gone way beyond the point. You know, the, the tumours were much bigger. You, you can't. The idea is that you're using a radiotherapy to debulk the tumour, and, and, and you just you, you, Chinese medicine was also very pragmatic. You know, like it, it's not magic. It's qu- actually quite scientific. And so, yeah, you, you've got to go with what's you know you've got to go with what's what's possible. That's why I like it because it's so down to earth it's so grounded actually and and practical and so I, I went with that 
but also I was taking Chinese herbs right up to the point where I started treatment, which which bumped up all my blood markers by up to up to thirty percent in a month just by taking herbs beforehand, which put me in a much better situation to start. And then um, going through the, the treatment, and, and this is where it was difficult because the the idea behind the chemotherapy is that you're actually poisoning the body. That's what it yeah. does. Mm. And but you're poisoning the, it, the, the you're poisoning the cancer cells at a faster rate than you're poisoning the normal cells. And so, for the chemotherapy, you don't want you, you don't want to mitigate the effects of the poison. Well, this is according to the oncologist thinking. You don't want the you don't want anything that mitigates that poisoning effect. You don't want to take the antidote to the poison. Yeah. Okay. If yep. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And 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 so you can't even you don't even want to take antioxidants because what the chemotherapy doing is causing oxidative damage to the cells. Right. Yeah. And so at the end of the treatment, hopefully the cancer cells are completely killed and your body's only fifty percent killed. Because I, I tell you what, it feels like that mm. at the end. You know, I, I was. I was struggling to lift a cup of tea by the end of it. You know, I was so weak. But and and but this is when, I, like, what I was talking about before that that Western medicine cures to the disease and goes right, you're disease free. It's just like, but I feel rubbish. Yeah. I feel absolute. I feel, you know, I feel like dead. You know, but there's nothing for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that idea of survive over thrive, and I think of it even when you're not sick. Yeah. You know, we live to yes. 90 or whatever it is these days, but, you know, the last 10 years might be on your own or without a community or, you know, working a job you hated for 30 years or that you uh, lived with anxiety or depression or another ailment or an alcoholic or gambling, you know, all of these issues that plague society, but you're living longer in many cases, is it worth it? And I think it's the same sort of deal with Western medicine as you're explaining with the cancer treatment. They get you to a point where you're able to survive, but once that's over, it's almost like, okay, it's up to you now to figure out a way to thrive after that. And I think having your background and and knowledge, you're probably able to find a way to thrive after your body had taken the hit. Yeah, in, in in physical terms, Definitely, you know, in, in the physical health because I, I was so lucky that I had, I, I'd sort of had all the tools already. I didn't sort of have to learn any, like, I, you know, I already knew, I already done the Wim Hof technique, which was an incredible benefit. You know, I, I meditated for years, you know, practiced and taught Tai Chi and, and, and so, and with the Chinese medicine. So I knew all this stuff. So I was very lucky in that, in, in that respect. And so I just actually had to apply it, you know. Mm. And so being cancer-free and then I just I just bounced back better than I felt I can't even remember. Yeah, it was, it was quite quite amazing. And the, like the Wim Hof technique, I, I won't go into it. You can, there's a page on our website, the Centre of Health website, you can go in and, and sort of, read about read the link follow the links and and read about it but basically um a lot of people know wim hof technique wim hof is the ice man and they they see all the cold and the ice sort of stuff and and for me that's that's amazing but it's actually the breathing techniques that are for me that's that's been the most useful i think in in my process with it so and what i found was 
that when I was at the, at the very worst of my treatment and I was given like liquid morphine at home, like basically, you know, they said just take as much as you need. If you take too much, you'll pass out, you know. And, wow. and I, like I was just, I, I could take a, an, an enormous amount of this to the point where I was, you know, like getting really drowsy and it, and it, wouldn't, like, it wouldn't even touch the pain from the radiation burns and so um but like when I did acupuncture on myself and 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 do the Wim Hof breathing technique I could get completely pain-free in about 20 minutes like and and the fact that the that the breathing technique in acupuncture was was stronger than the highest dose of morphine that that was it for me it was like wow this this really works this is incredible and and so I, I use the Wim Hof technique. I teach it to all the patients that that I think that that, that it's helpful for them, and um, I've been teaching workshops in it. And so that's one of the things I'm really missing out because our last seven sold out the last seven workshops that we've done of the Wim Hof workshops, and um, we've had to cancel yeah yeah three out of the, three out of the last seven. So. It's something a bit of a that can bummer. be done over over Zoom, or is it have? Do you have to really be there next to someone? To you can, you, you can you can you can do the you can do the breathing techniques over Zoom, and I've taught, taught a few patients that I have done, but um, but there's something about doing it in the and and learning it and doing it in that group um environment that is just incredible. And and most most people that come along have learned it, you know, to a certain extent online. Mm-hmm. And without fail, every single person is like, "Wow, that was incredible! I've n- I never experienced like that that before." Yeah, there's something about being in a group, and there's also like like anything. I mean, you can you can learn yoga online, but it's not the same as having a teacher there to be able to correct your postures. And but anyway, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> oh, and I, I want to go further into Wim Hof soon, and and many of the things that you've talked about. But one thing. Cancer is a scary word. It's something terrifying. And I'll sort of, this is my last point on it, but it's a scary word. It's something people are terrified by the idea of getting that diagnosis, the idea of going to a hospital once you have a bit of a lump or a bit of a headache or whatever the symptoms might be. And people just don't want to find out, don't want to be confronted by that. And, and it's that fear of the future, as you mentioned before, in many cases, when you found out, what was your sort of initial reaction? And, and now that you've gone through it, what would be something you would tell someone that is maybe entering that journey where them or someone they, they love uh, are entering a battle against cancer? That's a good question. Thanks. Uh, I, I think, first of all, uh, I think it's a... A lot of people, they, they talk about this cancer as a battle and a fight and I really don't like these war analogies. I, I, I really don't like it because, first of all, cancer is not something that you catch. Mm. It's, 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 your own, it's your own state of being that's gone into, dysfunctional, into a dysfunctional state, you know, it's a war within yourself, which is not, you know, like it's a, like a civil war. That's not a very nice war. You know, no one, that's not a just war. It's a horrible yeah. war. No one wins in a civil war, any kind of war. But it also creates the idea that, you know, 
I fought hard, but the cancer got him, you know, like this is idea. I maybe didn't fight hard enough. Yeah. You know, as if it's like, as if it's your fault, like babies get cancer. Is it their, is it their fault? Is mm. it from smoking or they haven't eaten enough kale or, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like cancer is just a fact of life. It's just, it just happens to people. It always has, it always will. And it's multifactorial. It's not one single thing. And, and cancer is not even one single disease. Like every different type of cancer has got different sort of risk factors, different causative factors and, and, and different treatments. In gen- so in general, first of all, I think, okay, if it's not a fight, what is it? It's an opportunity. And that sounds sort of, that sounds sort of tr- trite, but it's also... It's also true. It's a, it's a it's an opportunity to have a look at your life and what's what's going on, and not with the perspective of, oh, somehow I can heal this or I need to change something or, but just it just it does put you back in the present. You're sitting in the oncologist's waiting room. You know you you're you're alive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, you're there. You're going. I'm alive, and I think. If you have that victim mentality, like, why me? And Because a lot of people, you know, I've said 80-year-olds who are going, why me? It's just like, oh, my God, you've had a magnificent, you've yeah. had a magnificent life. I, I remember when my, um, my Buddhist teacher, is a fantastic Buddhist monk, and we were in, in, in India on a retreat. This is quite a few years ago. And, and, I, and I said, oh, Rinpoche, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about my, my uncle. I think his health's not good it's it's really getting me worried and he, he said oh how old's your uncle I said oh he's eight he's 82 and and, and he said is he, has he been in good health I said yeah he's still coach he's still coaching tennis up to into his 80s and he said what are you talking about he said if you or I have that kind of life where we're healthy up until our 80 it's fantastic we're, we're blessed and, and I went oh yeah you're right Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was that was before I had cancer, and I realised he's right. It, it it gives you a chance to go. What what do I have, and what am I sort of grateful for, and what's important? Because if you start going down the why me and feeling sorry for yourself path, of course you're allowed to feel sorry for yourself. It's terrible. It's shit. But you know that's that's the responsibility thing. I'm not able to respond. Oh, why me? I'm I'm the victim. This has happened to me. Uh, I'm giving up, like, what someone cure me sort of thing. That uh, one extreme. And the other extreme is that I'm going to fight, I'm going to beat this, you know, I've, you know, we've got this, we've got to be strong and, you know, that's the other end. And I think there's that, that's that middle path between acceptance and, res- you know, acceptance and responding to it. And I realised for me, I, I, I always said I'm, you know, because there's so much cancer in my family, like basically all my relatives have died of cancer. You know, I lost my mum died of breast cancer when she was 54. Mm. Um, my, my dad was in his 70s but smoked like a chimney and, you know, drank a lot and smoked a lot. So if I've got his genes, I'll live forever. But <laughs> um, but all my family. So I always thought and, and in a very pessimistic, negative way that I, I am, I thought when I get cancer, I'm going to cure myself through natural methods. 
and, you know, I'll be Matt who cured his own cancer and I'll write a book and have a podcast and, you know, and everyone will think, oh, this guy's a legend. He cured his own cancer and I'll help other people cure their cancer. And, and um, didn't turn out like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I sort of had to let go of that, that whole fantasy and go with, you know, go with what, what I thought the best, the best sort of thing was. And, and, and I was part of it, I was thinking, oh, oh if I get cancer, I'll, look, I'll, I'll just, I'll have a go and if I die, I die and, oh, well, that's, that's it. But I realised actually I was a bit depressed, I think, at the time. And, and a bit of it was that, ah, oh, it's all a bit hard, you know. Life is just a bit hard. Maybe there's not quite enough joy and it's, and it's, an, it's an exit, you know, and it's not, it's not a great exit. It, it, it's, it's more like this is a very long-winded answer to your question, mate. Uh, <laughs> but I love I think, it. <laughs> but I think it's, for me, it was about looking at my life and going, what part of me doesn't really want to be around anymore? What, what part of me, like really being super honest with myself, you know, going in, meditating on it, thinking about it, contemplating it and going, is there a part of me that's going, I'm, you know what, I'm just, it's, I'm a bit tired, I'm a bit sick of this shit, you know? What, what's in there going, yeah, look, I've, I've had enough. And, and finding those parts and, and, and oh, this, is, this is kind of trite, but making, uh, not really making friends with those parts, but just going, just accepting it, going, okay, what's, whoa, all right, what's that about? Do I really, yeah, it's, it's looking at what you've got to grateful to live for, but also what you don't like <laughs> and what you don't want to be around for, you know, what, what makes you go, oh, I'm out. And, and and addressing and addressing that, which was which was a really um, interesting process. We started talking about, I guess, coronavirus and people's reactions to that, and that got to sort of much more existential issues for for many. I mean, many people are dying from coronavirus around the world, but you know, for many that we we come into contact with, it's this external thing that's sort of happening around us. And you've touched on the way to approach cancer as a way to actually approach the way that coronavirus has affected people's lives, that it's, it's, it's affected you. You don't really have a choice in it. And mm. it's up to you to respond to it and find, or well, why are you looking for conspiracy theories? Why are you looking for blame? Why are you so angry? And why are you... Uh, scrolling around for the worst news why are you yelling at people yeah, with their masks yeah. whatever it might be it's something that's in, yeah. internal that's missing or that is that needs to be added to to break that cycle and break that path if someone's on your mat right now and uh you're treating them and, and they're starting to you know talk really negatively or talk about conspiracy theories and i know that you're an open-minded person that has many things that sort of the western mainstream media or whatever would turn their noses up at you know in many cases so you're not someone that's just this mainstream individual that is just living the status quo you've done a lot in your life so you've actually questioned things and thought critically so you're someone with a perspective 
having that perspective, how do you actually approach these people that probably have, you know, good intentions or some good ideas, but they're just swept off their feet by these um, ideas of, of 5G towers or of, you know, this global conspiracy led by Bill Gates, you know, whatever it might be. How do you respond to these people? Uh, I guess in my, in my work, not so much. It's more um, the thing I find trickier for me personally, I think, is when people have sort of swallowed more right-wing, right-wing media ideas but I always, it's. I think it's better. It's much more helpful to soften, soften your view, and and really listen to what the other person is saying because the more strongly you hold on to your views, and if you're not prepared to soften your own view, then you don't actually listen. You're not really listening to the other person and where that might be, where they might be coming from, and and if you do that, and if you're busy preparing your own argument in your own head your clever rebuttal of that person, then you're missing the opportunity to actually learn something new. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It seems like we're we're, we're living in the time where uh, where confidence seems to triumph over competence. It, it's it's like the the person that seems the most sure of themselves is the most right sort of person. Mm. Not rather not not the wisest person or the most deeply contemplative person or the or the or, or the person who's keeping an open mind it's like from the president down to the well not down across to the bloggers and podcasters and and even and even I see this in in therapists as well like someone goes to a a, a practitioner who's like oh yes I can fix that oh absolutely oh this this is this and you know this is this or you know you're personal trainer oh my personal trainer said it was this this, and this and, and I'm there thinking oh yeah but you know the person's going to go with that because the the PT was so confident in their in their sort of diagnosis of what was going on and and I and I guess that in the, that's probably a more relevant example to me and but it's not up to me to conflict and actually you know, rubbish that person and saying, well, you know, it's clearly not that. But but that's not, it's not that helpful. Do you know what I mean? Mm. What, what I generally try to do is find what was the final point of agreement. Because for a start, the person could be misinterpreting what the personal trainer said. That's my, Maybe that's not what they said at all. It's just Chinese whispers. So there's no point arguing with it for yeah. a start in, from that respect. But it's also... Finding okay, so how can yeah, how can we work with that concept, or how can I get the person to fi- to feel it and embody it themselves, you know? And if I, I can demonstrate that, I can do a leg raise and go. Can you feel how that's pulling along the side of your thigh there? And they're like, yeah. Is it? Yeah, that's your pain. And see how if we manipulate that, that will change that. Can you can you feel it? Like, can you feel that? Can you see what's going on there? And that way the, the, the person's coming to that, they can draw their own conclusions about what they're feeling in their body, what they're actually experiencing. And because in Chinese medicine and in physio, it's all based on observation and actually what's going on in the body. This is not theoretical stuff. This is sort of practical hands-on, sort of hands-on healing, I guess. 
Yeah, that's a great way to put it, and, and the idea of drawing conclusions, because often uh, this term woke is is often thrown around in the social media world, and both on the right and the left, I think it's a term that on the extreme fringes of either side, they sort of, it's almost like a circle and, and they meet at the other end, the right and the left of the extreme ends, you know, where violence is okay and fear and, and rhetoric, you know, rules the day and, and the loudest screamers. But on this specific topic, you, you do see the both sides, whether it's the, you know, the far right or the far left, both deciding that coronavirus is a hoax in one way or another, that there's someone trying to control. It's all depending on who's trying to control you that it's almost targeted at. But the way that they like to say that they've explored things and critically thought and had a look into it, I looked deep. I deep dove onto YouTube for 35 hours and I found this. And But it's mm. there's something behind that, the critical thinking. But I think being a messenger, and this is where I struggle because I love to listen and I, I've moved away from ever commenting i used to be a serial commenter and a serial you know, <laughs> type, uh, keyboard warrior in return to people and now i just listen and let it go but which helps me but i think it doesn't add fuel to the fire but maybe the direction is to allow people to draw their own conclusions by just offering somewhere to look something to read or something to feel as you say you know how do you feel when you've explored youtube for 20 hours do you feel good about yourself do you feel more empowered that, or less empowered yes yeah. that's 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 exactly, yeah, I, I reckon that's a great way to look at it because, again, what, what's the response? What's, what's, the, what's the effect? What, what's the net effect? Exactly. Are you happier for doing that? You, what, what difference is that information going to make to your life? Look, maybe it is a conspiracy. Maybe it was a manufactured virus. Who knows? But that doesn't change the fact that I can't go surfing for another four weeks mm. and that's just not great. <laughs> so but what am I going to do with that you know like yeah it's it's how I re- it's how I choose to respond to that and it's and it's re- really interesting how we're going to respond because we're waiting for this to be over and and and, it, and who knows how long it's going to take but as I said from the start and other Chinese medicine practitioners I've spoken to there is a pattern to these things in Chinese medicine where we look so every year uh, every year we see sort of similar sort of patterns. And in Chinese medicine, the first first thing you learn in Chinese medicine is that people aren't separate from the environment. People are a reflection of the environment and part of the environment. So I do see in clinic you see different like sort of acute diseases like respiratory stuff and hay fever and sinusitis and you see it corresponding to the weather. And hay fever is a great example of that, you know. The pollen comes in, it's a, the northeasterly starts blowing off the, off the grass north of Melbourne and everyone, you know, people who are vulnerable to it start, start sneezing. And every year we see people actually not getting sick so much this time of the year because the, the temperature is quite, sta- you know, quite stable. But that change in season, you know, around in, in Melbourne, I, I don't know if this is a very Melbourne-based uh, audience, but in, in, in Melbourne, in one day, you might have the four seasons. And so when you get that change in the weather, it's very hard for the body to adapt. And that's when you see people start getting sick. So in Melbourne, at the end of August, you know, and we get that hot, hot weather and everyone goes, woo, it's spring and the jasmine's coming out and 
everyone's wearing less clothes and yay. And then, and then we go cold snap again. The weather just changes again. And then that's when people get sick. That's when we see the sore throats and, and, and this sort of thing, people getting sick. So I think, unfortunately, that's going to coincide with us coming out of lockdown, out of stage four in Melbourne. So that's not going to be pretty for a little while. That's, that's, my, that's my Chinese medicine prediction on this, that, that we'll, we'll see people getting a little bit sicker again. And also that'll be hay fever season as well. So everyone will have, you know, that gets hay fever. And, and Melbourne's one of the worst places in the world for hay fever apparently. And we certainly see a lot of it in, in clinic. So everyone will be, you know, you wake up with a sniffle and sneeze and you're going, oh, my God, is this coronavirus or what, what is this? It's going to be awful. That's going to be awful. But then, in, according to Chinese medicine, this, this coronavirus pathogen is what we call a cold, damp pathogen. So it likes cold, damp weather. Mm. And in the, the Chinese medicine um, doctors in Wuhan said in Wuhan had had a particularly uncharacteristic cold and wet winter, which is why they said it, it, was, it was as bad as it was. And the thing is in Melbourne we've come out of this summer where the grass is still, was still as green and lush as it's ever been. You know, the grass should be like burnt, yeah. burnt brown end of summer, still really lush, right? And, and now we're going through this cold, you know, like it's cold and damp in Melbourne. So I'm not surprised Victoria's suffering in this way. But what we need is a good long, hot summer to dry us all out again, except then we've got bushfires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. We just we just came out of a, a really hot summer, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like a summer, and I know the bushfires affected that. Yes. But it was smoky. It was there was never yeah. any consistency in the weather. It was a yeah. It was scary, but it was also just really doomsdayish, and not just yeah. because there were fires, but just the weather in general. And I know climate. The climate is changing, and, and where Australia is probably going to feel that probably more than anywhere else in the world, uh, recent studies have shown that, you know, Australia will feel that more than anywhere. And I, I almost feel that we're in the midst of that. And and I've been dealing with a lot of grief around that, my, my deep dive into climate change and, and the science behind oh. that and some of the predictions. And, and then yeah. the bushfires happened and then coronavirus happens. And, and it was sort of like, in my mind, I was like, we, we needed change prior. We needed to delve into yeah. ourselves and find who we are because you know what we can't just trust this world to bring us along with it and, and support us we need to start supporting ourselves and supporting each other and, and making some changes here and now coronavirus has shown that to most people i think and i hope yeah well it's it's pretty amazing not having the car and cars on the road my favorite conspiracy theory is that all the world leaders got together and said look there's no way we can save the world from climate change and pollution. You know, we're going to hell in a handbasket. We're cactus. Everyone agrees on that, whether they say that publicly or not, but everyone knows that, right? All the oil company executives and politicians, everyone knows it's true. They might say completely opposite thing on television, but everyone knows it's true. We're stuffed. And so... Yeah, my favourite conspiracy theory is all the leaders got together and said the only way <laughs> that we're going to get people to stop consuming and driving cars and flying around <laughs> is that we manufacture this incredible virus story 
to basically get everyone off the off the roads and stop. That's, yeah, that's one that I'd, I'd buy into. <laughs> that one. Yeah, there. yeah, I know. It's, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> Not bad. And and I actually had this idea for a novel, and someone will probably steal this and and have a bestseller. But um, <laughs> but it was that idea of exactly what you're saying that everyone knows that this is that you know the world is stuffed. There's like some doomsday clock, and you know. And what's happening is the right wing people aren't evil. They're just like, or the you know the anti climate science uh, brigade aren't evil. They're just saying, you know what, we've got to make the most of this. You know, we've got to live life for the oh. next fifty years with money and cash and and power because it's all going to shit. So we better make yeah. you know most of it. Nothing's going to change. Absolutely, otherwise. <laughs> absolutely. It's 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 human nature. It doesn't. One of my best friends' dads said over thirty years ago. He said. Boys, you'll look back on this time in your life when you could jump in your petrol-powered car and, and drive an hour and a half down to the coast for a surf. He said, you'll look back on that and said, what were we doing? What was that life? What was that life about? You know, your kids will mm. say, what, you jumped in a petrol car and you just drove, you used that much petrol to go for a surf, you know? This will be some in, in, incredible story. When I was in primary school, we thought we were going to run out of oil and petrol by long, long ago, you know. So that's why we keep we always have we always have hope, you know, human beings. That idea of jumping in the petrol car for a surf's all right, but what about jumping in the car to get an hour and a half to a job you don't like, or to you know, stuck in traffic <laughs> to radio? You know, that's the thing that gets to me, and I'm just like, that's incredible that what we're doing you know imagine just paying attention and reflecting on our days you know maybe we'd make some changes maybe we would have a realization like yourself where you love work and you're like you know what i'm going to embrace this every day and mobility to make a difference to people's lives rather than you know just living almost like you know as a puppet you know i like to use that analogy but you know we've got a bit of agency <laughs> you know we've got a bit of an ability to to make changes and no matter what we believe on the free will front, what we can do is pay attention to what's happening and react to that. And I think you mentioned that a fair bit yeah. with responsibility. I think it comes down to that as a, a key component to living happily. Yeah, for sure. Matt, we've, we've spoken about a, a lot about what's been happening recently and a couple of um, more recent journeys, but I'd like to go back in time a little bit to where it all began for you. Where did you grow up? What was life like as a as a kid? And before I go into that, actually, you, you mentioned that um, you know you've lived in Byron. You're a surfer. You you, you know Chinese. You you've worked in in India under uh, under a Buddhist monk. You, you've done all of this stuff. So, what was life like as a as a child? And and was there a first step or something that you remember in your younger days where you started on the pathway of of trying new things out? I grew up in in Melbourne. I think I probably I, I was I was not a particularly well kid because one of my eyes is wonky, so I wasn't very good at sport. I, I, and I never realised that until I was in my twenties that the fact that I was only really seeing out of one eye meant that it's pretty hard to catch a a ball. So growing up as a kid in Australia and as as a boy not being very good at ball sports isn't isn't great. So consequently, I think I read a lot like really a lot that was my that's always been my passion really and when I was in form five I suppose now called year 11 that's how old I am uh 
I, I got glandular fever halfway through year 11 and I was sick. I was really, really sick. And um, at that time, like Western medicine barely even acknowledged it was a thing, let alone had any, there was, there was absolutely no tr- treatment or, or help for it at all. And um, I, I was in bed for a couple of months and, and really, really very ill. And I, I guess that was the, I'd always had this idea about acupuncture, I don't know why our first GP was actually went to China back in the 70s, was one of the first Australian doctors to go and study in China. So I think that was my first exposure to it. But, yeah, I always always interested in, in Chinese medicine. And, and, and I think this was the start of my disillusionment with, with Western medicine was that I, I am so sick and there's, you're saying there's nothing, <laughs> you can't help me because that was the case. Things are better now but, but still like Chinese medicine has a lot more to offer in terms of, uh, of chronic fatigue and, and those kind of tricky autoimmune diseases definitely. And so I actually wanted to, when I finished school, I, I, I wanted to go to China. I rode away to Beijing University of Chinese Medicine. And well, my parents, and because and, so I was going to, yeah, work, save up, go to China to study. So this is back in the um, early 80s. But my parents, and it's the only thing they ever gave me any guidance on really, it was kind of weird. And, and they said, um, oh, no, I should do something recognised. And I actually got into medicine. I worked pretty hard in my year 12 and but just went like, you know what I just I just don't believe in it and and at that time I was still not very well and I just thought I, I, I won't be able to get through it. I just won't be able to get through it and at that stage lots of medical students were actually way overworked and stressed and quite a few of them actually committed suicide as well like and, and I heard about that and I just thought I, I don't know that I could I can do it and I've probably regretted it ever since because I think I would have quite liked to do western medicine as well because because it is the you know it is the dominant paradigm and and really I often think if if Dr Jung who I mentioned before who wrote the the classic of of cold diseases I think if if Dr Jung was alive now he wouldn't be doing chinese medicine he would be he would be doing western medicine he would be one of the top researchers in the world the way the way his mind worked he would be doing whatever the the absolute pinnacle of medicine at the time was so all, all all medicine is medicine it's all directed towards the same you know it's all directed towards the same goal just helping people so but i i thought okay well if i'm not going to go to china and do that i'll, I'll do something i'd like to do some more natural kind of healing and i thought oh physiotherapy that's good that's kind of much more hands-on natural that was what i was into I'd, I'd already learnt, I'd learnt reflexology from my great uncle oh. who was a, a, an, an amazing fellow who was into, he was a Rosicrucian, he was into meditation and, and I actually inherited, I've still got quite a few of his books at the clinic and it's amazing because you read, you read through his books from the 30s, 40s, 50s and if you just change the language, it's all new age stuff. Yeah. And that's what I said. As I said before, None of this is new. You, you think the most, the secret, the prophecy and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, you think it's new. You, you can read books about it in the 30s. It's amazing. Mm. 
And one one of his books, really interesting, um, was written by a doctor in the in the fifties in America. And there's a chapter I couldn't believe it. There was a chapter on a, a doctor who visited in a hospital who was treating cases of acute appendicitis with acupuncture, and getting the most astonishing results. So normally, acute appendicitis, you go to hospital, they whip your appendix out because yeah. if it if it if it does burst, it's in a medical emergency. You know, you you know you don't want that to happen. But he was using acu back then, so we're talking seventy years ago now. And he showed this other doctor, you know, a series of patient cases, and he treated over two hundred and fifty cases of acute appendicitis successfully with acupuncture. And the doctor was saying in the book, "Oh, look, this this is amazing, avoiding avoiding surgery and all the complications of surgery. This is fantastic. You know, I'm sure we'll see within a few years. This is widely used." you know, all over America in hospital. And, and we're 70 years on and it's not, mm. which I, I, I think is fascinating. And, be, and I haven't really gone into the why of it, but, but I, I've treated probably, oh, probably only about four or five cases of acute appendicitis in a clinic. And, of course, I'm going to send them to hospital, you know, I'm going to send yeah. them to hospital, but they, these are people who've gone to hospital They've said, look, it's probably appendicitis, but, you know, we've kept them here under observation or whatever. Right, go home. If it gets any worse, jump in an ambulance, come back to hospital. And, and so they've come in for treatment and it's resolved really well. So, you know, I'm not saying, oh, you've got append- you think you've got appendicitis, go and see a Chinese medicine doctor. But, again, I think this is a really a good example of, how, you know how I was saying initially about the coronavirus, how we, I, I thought I was going to get to treat it, but, of course, we haven't because if people are that sick, they go to hospital mm. where actually we could treat it really well and we could probably prevent a lot of people getting bad and having the, the terrible complications of it. You could do with Chinese medicine, but it's, it's how that incorporates into our healthcare system. That's the question, you know, and caveat. Note, I'm not saying I can cure coronavirus, but I, I, I know that from the experience of the Chinese medicine practitioners in China, it's it, it's incredibly um, useful treatment. You've studied uh, as a physio, and, and we'll go into that, and also as a Chinese medicine practitioner and someone, you know, with many different methods. Is there a difference with the philosophy at the bottom of it. You, you said all medicine's the same. Is there actually a difference with the philosophy of one versus the other? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a, a, a there's an incredible philosophical difference because the the Chinese way of thinking, the Taoist way of thinking, and and, a, and approach is is utterly different from the Western medicine approach, which is sort of di- this didactic thinking where you divide, if, if, it's, if it's not A, then it's, B, it's either A, B, C. If it's not A, then it must be B or C. If it's not B or C, and, and you're, you're dividing. So you, you're, what you're producing in the end is a, oh, people won't be able to see my hands, but <laughs> it's not radio. Um, <laughs> but you're producing a diagnosis where you're coming down into a funnel, to a, yep. to a final point. Where, where Western medicine at its best, you, you're coming up with a causative organism. In this case, a coronavirus. Yes, mm. that's the causative. That's the causative organism. So if we if we have a treatment for this organism, we can cure it. And 
this is diagnosis to so die like you're dissecting like we're cutting down and, and you're dissecting into smaller and smaller parts which is useful if, if if in the end you can go oh yes we can fix that but if you dissect down in the end and you, you come up with the yes this is what it is but there's no cure for it you know and the good news is well we've found what your problem is the bad news is we've got no treatment for it yeah <laughs> or or we've got such horrendous treatment for it that the side effects almost worse than the cure mm. um whereas in chinese medicine i i've and I think it's my word, but I've coined the, coined the term hologenosis. So it's a holistic gnosis. Gnosis means to know from the Greek, I guess. So it's, a, it's an open-ended knowing. So in Chinese medicine, you're looking at the pattern of the overall person. So it's not the, the, a theoretical concept. Your impression, your diagnosis or hologenosis is based on what you see on, on the observation. And so in Chinese medicine, we're not trying to drill down to one particular point. We're actually painting a picture which exists in three dimensions at a particular point in time. Mm. So, the, so the patient that comes in to see me today is, is a different picture. It's a different holognosis to the patient that comes and see me in two weeks' time because it shifted. And also, as we said before, that, that interaction between the person and the environment, that's different as well. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And, that, and that, the, I, I think what happens is a lot of the time you look at the disease and you don't look at the patient. I, I think Plato, one of the first doctors said, you know, you know one of the found, found, founders of, of Western medicine thought said, if you, if you go in, if you're not examining the spirit of the patient you are a poor physician and and then louis pasteur and and, and looking and discovering the, the the germ theory and and you know like don't quote me on my historical references but but louis louis pasteur when discovering germs and you know the germ theory he himself said the germ isn't everything the the the, the terrain is everything even Pasteur recognised it's not the germ itself is the most important thing. It's the way that germ interacts with us mm. and our bodies that's the important thing. So even in a nursing home now, like COVID sweeps through the nursing home, but there's two elderly, you know, there's two 80-year-olds there. They both share the same comorbidities, same age, same diet, you know, same everything. One gets it really badly, the other person gets a sniffle. But they're both, and they're both COVID positive, right? So same organism. So in Western Mm. medicine, we say the same treatment, but one's in intensive care and the other one's having a cup of tea, right? So so what's that about? So Western medicine, we would say, oh, that's the immune system. But what does that mean? So if that's the immune system, then where is the talk about boosting our immune system in all of this. We're washing our hands, we're wearing masks, we're trashing our lives, we're, we're making elderly people's lives an absolute misery, mm. you know. There's people, elderly people who are COVID positive in hospital, they, 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 they can't even shower them because of their aerosolization of, of the shower and the risk that that poses to the health workers. So... You know, there's, there's people who haven't been showered for weeks 
mean, they're having sponge bath in bed on stuff, but Jesus Christ, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And, and, and so we're all making these tremendous sacrifices, but no one's talking about whether real treatment is in a way, which is, you know, how we can boost our immune system. And, again, I'm not saying we can cure COVID or anything like that, but, but we need to look at the, the terrain rather mm. than just, just the germ. Because germs are everywhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but <laughs> you know you can't shield yourself from germs. You know, or, or deadly pandemics. I mean, there's many more sort of xenoviruses in different animals that are just waiting to to jump post. You know, into us and and <laughs> much worse. You know, I mean, these things exist around. So you know, we can't just hope that we get a vaccine and we never have to worry about a pandemic again. It, it no. Is the well, well, the swine, well, the swine flu. I, I still, I, I, I actually found some masks that I had in the back of the cupboard that I hadn't worn since I was treating patients with the swine flu years ago. And actually, Chinese medicine, I, I, I considered great success with people like that. I treated quite a few um, kids that had it who, who were in doing year eleven and twelve, you know, who were sick and couldn't afford to be sick, and so we were treating them with with herbs and acupuncture for the for the symptoms, and, and they, they did really well. So that's what I was thinking at the start of this. Oh, yes, it's another flu. It's like the swine flu, blah, blah, blah. But the same, and I heard one of the chief medical officers on the radio tonight, the same thing has happened with coronavirus, which I thought would happen, as happened in the swine flu year, where actually overall a lot less people died of flu in that swine flu year mm. than died in any other year and why because we were taking the basic precautions we were you know when your kid was sick you didn't shove them off to school and and i had patients who who were turning up for treatment for for coughs and colds because i said yeah i went to work and boss said go home you got a sniffle could be swine flu go home what are you doing here yeah and that's when the hand sanitizer appeared at the front of the hospital and on the hospital lifts and and everyone was careful and, do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. so that year, less people got sick and, mm. and much less people died of the flu. And that's what, well, that's what we've seen already this year is that a lot less people have died of the flu. And so these are the practical nursing procedures that, that we've got to do in the future. See, we just got slack again. So, yeah, and, and you're quite right, you know, who knows what, what's up ahead, but hopefully it won't trash us as badly as this but but the the difference is is what i said and i i came home on the wednesday night after a long day in clinic and i'd been treating telehealth treating and, and and posting herbs to this person that i think probably was coronavirus positive because she was very very sick like nearly needing to go to hospital sick and and, and she pulled through in in the end with the herbs but, yeah, so I started looking and I said, coronavirus, yeah, right, this is back in February. And so when I read about the Italian experience and then the Chinese medicine practitioner's experience in China, the coronavirus, it was like, holy crap, this is something else, you know. Mm-hmm. This is really something else. This, this isn't a normal flu. It doesn't behave like a, a, a flu normally does. This is something that's really nasty and that's because it's this particular, well, in Chinese medicine, how we classify it as a cold, damp, pathogen and so it does a different when it gets the body it, it does a different thing 
And like all viruses, some people are more susceptible, some are less susceptible. You know, it depends on your own individual terrain and, 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 and the way that it interacts with your, your body in that way. So I went back and I was just, just saying to my partner and my son, oh, you know, I've been reading about this coronavirus. And, and my son turned around. He's so perceptive. And he goes, Dad, you're saying something completely opposite. To yesterday you're going, oh, it's just another few that would be fine or you'll be able to treat it. And now you're going all panicky. Like, what, what's going on, Dad? Like, what? <laughs> and I said, that's a great observation, son. But different. I, I, I've had different information. I, I've come upon different information. And so when you get different information, you have to analyse it and look at it. And then, yeah, often you might change your opinion. Yeah. But I thought, yeah, I thought that was very, very perceptive on me. He, he called me on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but your rebuttal's not bad. So um, uh, there's a comment and a question to come out of this. And, and the comment is that when you mentioned about improving the terrain, right now we are experiencing a virus that there are reactions to the virus, which is changing society. And a lot of the people that are against lockdown or against against the idea that this virus is important is saying that the cure is actually more deadly than the disease. And they're saying that things like violence, domestic violence, alcoholism, suicides, all of these things are going up due to what's happening. And in my mind, I said, well, that's not really the fault of the virus, nor is it the fault of the lockdown. It's the fault of a society that has allowed those things to fester in a way that has allowed, That's, you know, that we haven't fixed yes. the terrain. We've got a yes, problem. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and it comes back to the responsibility. Dan Andrews hasn't caused that. The virus hasn't caused that. You're absolutely right. People have done that, mm. you know. But, and I'm, but I'm also not saying people have that absolute free will. You know, different people have different of course. amounts of agency over their life. It's, it's not everyone's... Not everyone has the privilege of choosing their circumstances, you no. know, and and everyone has different different sort of capabilities. And but yeah, the, it, I, I think this is and this is always look. This is always a public health question. And God, I wouldn't be a leader in this for anything. I I, I tell you, because public health, you're not going. Oh, how does it affect this person? Or how does it you, you're you're taking you're having to take that whole the whole picture into consideration. So that's what the wise leader will do is how much do we have to push to get that result balanced up against, mm. against the cost of that? And it may well be that the social cost actually does outweigh it. But these are, these are horrific decisions because you're going, okay, will we lose a few more elderly, vulnerable elderly people? Who might have died any, you know, might have died anyway. One of my patients who, who manages a sort of chain of nursing homes in Melbourne said, in, in one small facility, they lost seven people to pneumonia, uh, seven people to the flu last year. In one, you know, so that that and that that's in a not that's a non-epidemic year. Yeah. So it's it's something that happens, and and the effect on young people and the knock-on effect of the economy. You know, like I, I was all for lockdown, like. Do like New Zealand lockdown hard and early. That was my own personal opinion. You know, like you, you can't let this get a hold. But as it goes on, you you kind of think, Jesus, the effect of elderly elderly people and the effect on their lives and being, not being able to go to funerals and 
all this kind of stuff, it's, it's flabbergasting really to, to think about and I wouldn't choose to do that. But it's the same thing as having cancer and being faced with that chemo and radiotherapy saying this cure, right, will render you with long-lasting side effects. I still have, because the cancer was in my throat, I still have difficulty swallowing um, saliva. Every single morning I wake up with a sore throat and go, oh, geez, is this, am I sick? No, oh, swallow, oh, no, it's just my normal sore throat that I've woken up yeah. with every you know, morning for the last four years. But I'm still here, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but in that face with that decision, do I do the horrible treatment with certain side effects like lockdown or do I let this disease run its course? Possible death, mm. you know, maybe a, a miracle. I like, I, I, I like to look at the stats every now and again, like comparing Sweden to Norway and Denmark and other neighbouring countries and seeing their approach and what they've done and, and like bottom line what that's affected. But, yeah, then I have to go, at the end of the day, Matt, does it doesn't really matter, you know, all, all I can do is take care of my own, my family and take care of my patients to the best of my ability. It's not really up to me. But the, the problem with this early on, I think, is that we were being all, it's like us individually were almost being asked to make public health decisions. Yeah. You know, me yeah. with my clinic going, geez, so what do I do? Do I just shut down completely? Or do I see people or do I not see elderly people or what, you know? What, what do I do? What's the right thing to do here? Because we don't know. That's the trouble. And we, people don't like unknowns almost as much as we don't like change. So, yeah, it's quite a challenge. It is. My, my, my question off the, off the previous few comments as well was that we often look at the bug and we treat the bug in Western medicine where we treat the whole person. And I, and I loved your term. What was it? It was uh, holognosis. Holognosis. Instead of diagnosis, holognosis. And I love that. Do you see a future in sort of genetics playing a part in, in treating people or do you think that that's sort of overkill and, and some sort of dark future where your whole body's red and your ge- genome is red and, and treatments are personalised and... Uh, what's your take on that? Do you think that that's a, a area of hope or an area of, you know, possible nightmare? Uh, I don't re- really have an, an, an opinion. And, and if it is at a treatment, it's only a treatment for privileged people mm. in the in, in the West. I mean, m- millions more people are going to die of malaria this year, you know, than for a lack of mosquito nets and decent mosquito repellent, you know, they're going to die of malaria rather than, COVID, still more people are going to die of tuberculosis. You know, there's still these <laughs> terrible diseases out there. You know, millions more people are going to top themselves and that, and that's just, that's horrendous. So and, and the, the, so the, I, I think the biggest challenge to us in the West is, is going to be mental health. And, and also because thinking about immunity, it, it's great because Modern science is catching up to Chinese medicine, and, and, we, that we're, and, and it's really exciting because now we're getting the sort of scientific evidence that yes, your digestion does affect your health, and your digestion affects your immune system, and the connection between the gut microbiome and your mood and emotions, and the connection between emotions and stress and your immune system. You know, this is fantastic. Even you know, we we can 
scientifically say um, there's a great TED talk on it. Sleep is your superpower. My GP gave me the um, the link to it. It's one of his favourites, and it's a ripper. It's it's scary because it looks at it, it looks at the effect of lack of sleep on on your immune system, and it's devastating. Mm. So if you, if you don't want to get sick and die of coronavirus, first thing to do, make sure you're getting enough sleep. Simple as that. Because as human beings, we have no defence against lack of sleep because there's not another animal on the planet that doesn't get the sleep that it needs. And if it doesn't get the sleep that it needs, it dies. If you keep a possum up all night, it'll die. Mm. You know, you do that for a couple of nights, it'll just perish. That's how... Yeah. That's how important sleep is and so this guy was saying it's fascinating that human beings because we've never except if in in cases of war or acute cases like that where people are going to die but in under normal circumstances people have never had to deal with lack of sleep the whole of human evolution we've always had enough sleep Mm. right so our bodies have no defense against lack of sleep your body doesn't know what to do. It just if you if you miss if you if you only get four hours sleep a night, and they, this was some of the research that he cited, your your immune system is smashed. Yeah, and that's one after one night of yeah. four hours sleep, your immune system goes down the toilet, and and so this this is what I mean. This isn't part of the conversation, and because I don't think it's being too radical saying well, you can cut down your chances of getting sick by getting a good night's sleep. Make sure you get a good night's sleep, everyone. Wash your hands. Don't cough on people. And make sure you get a decent night's sleep. I don't reckon that's being – I don't think that's alternative medicine, really. Uh, well, so making people not being able to sleep is a torture method. So if it's yeah, yeah. able exactly. to – you know, depriving people exactly. of sleep is torture, you know, it must be pretty important. Exactly. So don't let Netflix keep – Flicking over, I was watching The Norseman last night. Hilarious. Um, so, but don't, but don't do that. Don't do what I did last night. <laughs> switch, switch Have it off. You got, you get get into bed. And and this idea about eight hours sleep. This is a, this is a furphy. Prior to the invention of the light globe and that, you know, or popular spread of the light globe in America in the 1800s. Apparently, the average American got, I think, it's nine and a half hours sleep in the summer yeah. and from 10 to, 10 to 12 hours sleep in the winter. That's probably what we need. Yeah. It makes sense Is when that, you go camping and, or something and the lights are out. Yeah. You're in bed yeah, pretty early. You wake up with that's the sun. Right. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, a, it's a virtual online Netflix campfire that's just that's keeping us up far too late. So that's, that, that, that's the important thing. And, the, and then the next, the next most thing that affects that that badly affects the immune system is stress so it's pretty easy to say well don't stress but this is actually really important it's just not it's just not a oh like you know i shouldn't stress or whatever it's important to make yourself happy at this time we've got to find one buddhist teacher said you've got to water the seeds of joy first you know you've got to do what makes you happy and if and if they take away coffee they you know, this is a funny thing for a Chinese medicine practitioner to say, but if if there's a takeaway coffee between you and happiness, have a coffee. Do, mm. do, do you know what I mean? We've got like a lot of people that gym. You know, they love going to the gym or surfing or what, whatever, it, whatever it is, going to the cafe or whatever it is. But really, I, I think it's really important 
to to make that effort to to do those things. Listen to the podcast. Go, you know, go for your walk, but do those things that that make you happy and and less stressed. Because if nothing else, you're boosting your immune system. Yeah. And the next thing is exercise. Exercise, and you've got to go outside, right? This is this is super important. I, I, I was saying this to this guy today. You, you, you're not sleeping because if you're not getting outside and you're on the screen, you, you're not going to sleep well because your mind's tired, but your body's not tired enough for you to sleep. And so it's really important to get outside and get as much sun, sunshine as you can. So melatonin, I think everyone sort of sort of heard of melatonin now, mm. which is one of the hormones that helps regulate your sleep. And some people take melatonin as a, as a sleep aid. But melatonin is produced, as I understand it, and again, don't quote me on this, melatonin is, is, is produced in the body as a response to sunlight and it's regulated by how much sunlight comes through your eyes. So this is the important thing. Even if it's glary, try not to wear sunglasses because that cuts down the sunlight going through your eyes so your body doesn't think it's as light and so it doesn't produce as much melatonin. So really, especially Melbourne in the winter, some are a different thing. You don't, you, can, you, don't, you don't want to damage your eyes. But get out there, open your eyes, expose as much skin as you, as you can to get that melatonin production so you sleep deeper. And exercise, try and make yourself puff a bit. Exercise, so good for the immune system. If we're talking about cancer before, my, my GP was also... also told me about a, a study that he'd been looking at which looked at the rate of recurrence of breast cancer in women and it was big. He said it was a very robust study and it basically showed that if you exercised five times a week for 30 minutes at a moderate intensity, like a brisk walk, so brisk walk, 30 minutes, five times a week, cut the risk of recurrence of breast cancer by over 50%. Wow. And, and he said that is staggering. There is not a medication on the planet that is as effective as that. Mm-hmm. And he said in this case, if you didn't prescribe that, med- if that was a medication and you didn't prescribe that to women who had breast cancer, you would be negligent. Yeah. You'd be medically negligent. Wow. Like that is so effective that every single w- woman who has breast cancer should be taking that drug. Mm. But because it's exercise, big pharma, whatever, blah, 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 or it's just it's easier to take a pill. Yeah. Or, or also we, ju- we just don't, we don't think we don't, in our minds we don't believe it can be that effective. And that, so that brings us back to uh, Wim Hof, and I also want to talk about that a bit more in a sec if we've got time. So, so that's the exercise part of it. So sleep, have fun, don't stress, like the antidote to stress, have fun. Try not to doom scroll and and watch the depressing, violent things, you know, like try and watch something fun, make yourself laugh, you know, whatever feeds the joy and then getting outside and exercising. And the trouble is when people are stressed and they're under the pump and this is what happens, the first thing to go is sleep, second thing that goes is exercise. Like his holy said, Dalai Lama said, you know, like if I'm really stressed and busy, that's when I go and meditate. That's when I'll go and meditate. I think, oh, I really need to go and meditate now. It's it's yeah. it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And I went to a, a teaching when he came in and 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 taught at the at the tennis center, 
sort of over 12 years ago now. And, 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 and if you look up Dalai Lama on Facebook, he's, he's doing some live teachings and it is sublime to be able to sit there in your house and, and watch his holiness teaching is just it's extraordinary it's 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 just we're, we're so lucky he's still alive unlucky that he's probably not going to tour a lot you know he's not going to come out to australia again live but so incredibly lucky that we can you know that we can watch him on demand but anyway at, at this teaching he was sitting there and there'd been some change in the program and 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 suddenly they had to get ready there's ten thousand people in the tennis center and and, and hundreds of monks and right we're going to do this first so there's all this gentle relaxed commotion and and, and his holiness he just said oh okay well they're going to be a few minutes so, so i think i'll just have a rest and he sits back crosses his arms shuts his eyes and that was it and and i, and I thought that that is it that's incredible mm. that that was just when all the commotion and everything's going on, it's just like oh, I just think oh, I think I'll have, I'll just have a rest, <laughs> just have a rest. Yep. That's incredible. That and it is at those moments when we're probably less cognitive to to what we our needs are. It is probably at that time that we have to start to meditate and start to find touch and 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 you know become aware of our senses and what we're feeling at those moments uh we often do it when we're joyful or feeling okay or we've got time but as you say and as the dalai lama said it's important to do it when you're in the midst of some things starting to to go haywire you know that's the point to meditate yeah and and uh, one of another wim hof instructor in, in new zealand scott scott townsend and who who actually uh, i've got a podcast called take a breath worked on haven't done anything on it for a couple of years but we've got an interview with scott and he introduces his organization was called stop drop and breathe basically stop what you're doing drop into the present moment and breathe but it's mm. not like you have to meditate for hours or anything like, like that we we know again from the science that if you take five slow deep belly breaths you're coming back into your rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system you're coming out of that stress response and back into yourself. And I told one of my patients this week, and it was asking me about diet, what should I be eating? What's about? And I said, the most important thing for you is before you go to eat, that you're not on the computer. It doesn't matter what you're eating, it's more important how you're eating. Mm. So you're so you're at the computer, like just stop, present moment. Pop your hand on your tummy, breathe in and out five times. That's it. Just five times, breathe in and out. Just a nice humming sound, which also simulates vagus nerve, helps the digestion, puts you back in the parasympathetic system. Just relax. Just doing that five times. And then you eat. And then now your body, you've switched your digestion back on. Yeah. You're back in the present moment. And then you enjoy your food. And then you chew your food to liquid. To give your digestion the best chance, because that tells you your body, oh, I'm eating, I'm digesting, oh, oh, right, I'm not fighting tigers here, I'm actually eating, chew your food, blah blah blah, and that way you're making the most of your food, you're 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 getting the maximum amount of sort of nutrition out of your food, and that's, that's really mindful important. Mindful eating, isn't it? Mindful, because I know, like you know, at the cinema or something, people 
two, you know, chocolate ice creams, a thing of popcorn, a thing of Maltesers and the movie's over and you forgot what you ate. It's very different from that's mindless eating, whereas mindful eating is you enjoy your food. You can have your treat. You can really enjoy it, but you're taking that time not only to digest but just to think about what you're doing and, and enjoy it. If, it. if you're going to do something that you shouldn't be, enjoy it. Yeah, totally. Mm. I could go into the the fact that you can put on weight, the scientific reason you can put on weight just looking lovingly at a chocolate cake, but probably haven't got time to go into that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so that's the diet part of it. That that's the most important thing is that we're because we're because you know like it seems like everyone's just at that slightly heightened state or massively heightened state of anxiety, but it's everyone's just got that little bit more edge, you know, and mm. and so it's really important enough sleep, get outside, go for a walk, get your eyes in the in in the sunshine, do the things you love, and eat eat when you're eating. So when you're eating, you're not doing other things. You're just stopping to enjoy it, and do those five belly breaths before you start eating. It's fair, and you know, your mind will go, "Oh no, I'm too far too busy for that. I haven't got time to take five breaths. Don't be ridiculous. That that would take me probably twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm far right. too I'm far too important and busy to do that." So you've you've entered the physio field. I want to let's do a quick biography because there's a couple of things to touch on. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> or did, take your time physio, if you want. But <laughs> did physio finished on the Friday, started on the Monday down in Warrnambool Base Hospital, which was fantastic. Um, and, and, and as a junior physio, and you do all the rotations. So you know, working in the ICU there and all through the hospital, and then then went overseas working, and, and I had. Uh, Next four years, I had the endless summer. So I'd go over to Europe, work work in England, travel around Europe, come back, work in Australia over the summer, make enough money, go back to England again. And, you know, I had a fantastic time doing that when I was in my 20s and worked at a, 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 lot, of, a lot of different hospitals and, and in, in England and a lot of different physiotherapy practices here. And then came back and then I was working with... Um, Craig Phillips, who is the founder of Clinical Pilates, who's sort of pretty much responsible for the popularity of, of, of Pilates here in Australia and partially world, worldwide as well. Craig's a fantastic physio who, who took me on. He was the first physio that he took on. And, and so I got to learn Pilates with, with him and, and teach Pilates with him oh, over 25 years ago. It was, you know, it was fantastic opportunity i'm very very grateful for craig for that also interviewed him in a podcast on take a breath great yeah a little plug well that's fantastic because like within five minutes craig we're talking about you know breathing and core stability and craig goes oh core stability oh yeah core stability is dead it never really worked anyway i was like okay that's a pretty big call. So it's, yeah, it's interesting hearing him talk about that and and where he's where he's gone in his whole Pilates journey. So that was fantastic. And then, you know, I was working a few different jobs. I was really busy. And then a um, friend of mine, I was sitting in the Galleon Cafe in St Kilda. Was sitting there, and a friend of mine, there's a copy of the Australian and and looking up jobs and physio job. Here you go. 
Oh, you want to surf more? Here's a physio job. Here's a physio job north north coast of New South Wales. Why don't you go for that? And I was like, oh, bugger it. So yeah, so I did, and I went up to Byron, and so at that stage, I, I still had chronic fatigue from the glandular fever when I was seventeen, and I, I had um, sort of dabbled in acupuncture, like bought you know one of few available acupuncture texts at the time, and 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 sort of mucked around on myself. <laughs> whoever let me so I went up north and and lived up around northern rivers around Byron Bay and worked as as a physio in most of the private practices up north there and and had a just a fantastic time found a great my Tai Chi teacher Roger Cockgreave who was like incredible Tai Chi teacher and also Shiatsu teacher so and it's Shiatsu of, of him and I'm still back back teaching Tai Chi. So tomorrow tomorrow morning we've got our online Tai Chi class. So we get together with the with the ladies, and I go out into the park with my camera propped up in the tree where we usually where we usually do it at the back of the clinic. So that's that's quite fun. But I, yeah, I'm incredibly indebted to Roger for teaching me this this form of Tai Chi, and then eventually up there and getting herbs and acupuncture and and completely better from the chronic fatigue and, and then friends of mine you know from Melbourne came up once and, and just said Matt you, you're talking far too slowly and talking too much about astrology and you just need to come back to <laughs> you just need to come back to the real world so came back to Melbourne and I always because I always wanted to study Chinese medicine that was always the plan and so went back to uni and did the full Chinese medicine degree was a five-year degree and I compressed it into two years at uni and then did a year, uh, intern year at a hospital in, in China and then stayed on in China and, and, and studied under a couple of professors in China and then came back and started working as a physio slash Chinese medicine practitioner. And, and heaps of people ask me, oh, do you still do physio or do you know which do more of? And, and I guess now there's for me there's no real separation because you just you're, you're working you know you're working with someone you know it's it's whatever the person needs sometimes people come in thinking oh I, like I really want acupuncture you know I've tried physio osteo chiro whatever it hasn't really worked maybe I'll try acupuncture but actually what they need is just good physio mm. you know that if if they've got a mechanical problem and it's just like physio will work work, work really well for that. Um, most people would, would get acupuncture, I'd say, because it's just such a useful sort of modality. But it, it's such—it's just an amazing combination. And lots of lots of people say, "Yeah, so oh, gosh, you're really lucky to have both." Because, it, as I said, physio is really good for the mechanical type of problems. It's a, quite a mechanistic way of thinking about the body. We were talking before about that Western Eastern thing. Yeah, physio tends to be very very mechanistic whereas if you're thinking in a classical Chinese medicine way the person's inseparable from the nature and their emotions are inseparable from the body we don't have that mind-body dichotomy in Chinese medicine if your digestion's not working well you can't feel good Mm. you get worried you get anxious of course you get anxious your digestion's not working well it's the same thing in Chinese medicine it's it's not actually oh, I can think my way out of this. It's just like, no, you need to eat your way out of this, you know. You need to be eating the right foods at the right time in the right season, you know. Yeah, it, we've, we've, we've somehow got this mind-body-spirit split 
as if, yes, it's important to talk about, the, you know, talk about the mind and emotion. It's important to have that spiritual aspect as if they're separate. You know, we still think, even though we think, oh, mind, body, spirit, but we still think mind, body, spirit. Whereas in China, it's the fundamental thinking is more holistic just by its very nature. Mm. And, and the trouble is if you do try and do Chinese medicine as Western medicine, using it as a modality, or try and use Chinese medicine in Western medicine, you get the worst of you tend to get the worst of both worlds rather than the best of both worlds. But it's great. I mean, I've got a patient on the table, and you know I'm feeling the, the side of like, geez, that's all. Hey, that's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. I had you know a, a young guy, and he, he he said, oh, like this, this was just this week, who had been seeing the doctor, and he said, oh, look, I'm in a lot of pain. I can, you know, I sort of classified him as an urgent case because. He wasn't able to. He wasn't able to study. He said, "Like if it doesn't get better, I've got to go back to the doctor." And you know, I'm taking really strong painkillers, and you know, I, I don't want to. And I think, oh, "What's going on with you know?" What's so? I thought oh, I, I better see him. So that it's it's really hard. Like I've restricted my clients a lot to the people where they really urgently have to be seen. And this guy, it, it's like there's. He described it as a string pulling down right the whole of one side of the body. And what he actually did was trace out the gallbladder meridian in Chinese medicine. When I showed him this, he said, that's exactly where my pain is. That was exactly, you know, it was like he knew what the gallbladder meridian was and he was drawing it on himself. But it's just that, that the Chinese had observed that two and a half thousand years ago, that this is a particular pattern that occurs yeah. in people. But the beautiful thing is, having identified that pattern, we, we know exactly how to treat it. They said, they told us two and a half thousand years ago, this is how you treat it successfully. So in physio, we say, oh, this is L4-5, you know, this is L4-5 nerve root compression, a disc problem. But we took his straight leg raise, lifting his leg, we, we took that from 30, 30 degrees to nearly 70 degrees by working on the points on the gallbladder meridian and not even on his leg, you know, by other parts, by, by treating it by a classical Chinese medicine approach, we could change this physical symptom and, and give him the most incredible relief that he's had for six months. And he was going crazy with it. He, he, thought, he, he didn't know what was wrong, you know. Wow. He was going to go back to the GP and get, like, need scans and maybe see a neurosurgeon or, or, or whatever. But having that, the Chinese medicine, it just adds the, the, the whole picture. And then you can go in even further in that and go, well, actually, the, the gallbladder energetically in Chinese medicine is about decision-making. And, and so in, China, in, in Chinese culture, they don't say, if someone's courageous, they say, rather than say, oh, you've got big balls, they say, oh, you've got big gallbladder. All right, yeah. And, and, and so in Chinese medicine, it's, it's, it's even more sophisticated than that, whereas in decision-making process, there's two parts to it, which are controlled by two different organ systems or two different energetic systems. And part of it is a digestion and part of it is this gallbladder system, which is in part to do with the gallbladder, but it's actually a bigger picture. It's actually this functional idea of the gallbladder, which includes the actual organ, anatomical organ itself, but it's just, it's so much more, it's a broader concept than that. It's, it's, it's actually a way, it's a different language. It's a, uh, we're, we're observing the same thing, 
right? But we're applying a different language and a different logic to it. That's the mm-hmm. basic difference. But the Chinese medicine logic is very different to the Western medicine logic. And though we're describing the same thing that's going on, we might say, oh, this person is, is insufficient yin. But what's yin? Yin is like the substance fluid in the body, but you can't have 50 milligrams of yin. Yes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It, it's, a con- it's just a concept. It's just a way of explaining how things work. And it's just an incredibly useful concept. But if you go looking for the yin in the body or the, you go looking for the gallbladder of marine, you won't find it because it's only an idea. It's only a, it's a concept. It's a really useful concept, but it doesn't hold up to science, Western scientific scrutiny because it's not based on that paradigm. So the decision-making process, the digestive system controls the thinking part of it or the digesting the ideas. So if you need to make a decision, first of all, you're taking the facts, you're assimilating the facts, mulling them around, turning them over in your mind, chewing the fat, you know, chewing the fat, this idea that we're, we're kind of have to absorb the information in order for a decision to become apparent. Mm. Well, this is what I'm going to do. So that's the digestion part of it is, is analysing and thinking about the information. And then the gallbladder part of it is the ability to actually enact that decision and carry that decision out. So if the digestion is affected, then the pathology of that is worry. Okay. Oh, well, this and, the, you know, you know how people do that? And they, mm. oh, this, yeah, but this and, and oh, but he's going to say that and, oh, I'm not really sure about that. And, you know, they just go round and round in circles because they can't, uh, a decision can't bubble up to the surface. It's, it's, everything's cloudy and it's going round and round and it manifests in worry. And the more you worry, the more it affects the digestion and the more you get worried and, and it ends up like that. That's the digestive part of, of, of decision-making process. So if a person's having, struggling with a decision, it could be around that, that digestive issue. But there, there's also the other situation where I know what I need to do, I just can't do it. Yeah, so that can either be blocked externally, external factors are stopping me from proceeding with that, or it's blocking internally. Yeah, I know I need to do that, but I just can't quite seem to do that. Yeah, mm. yeah maybe you have, like you haven't got the courage to to push through that decision or, or or do what it takes to actually take that decision. And and so there's this subtle breakdown of even just something like the decision making process where you can actually diagnose or holognose, you can actually get an idea of what's happening organically in the body from the person's ability to make and carry out a decision. And and, and so we can, but we can treat that directly by trying to, because we know what Chinese medicine and what acupuncture and what practices this person needs to do and even what foods this person could eat in order to bring that decision-making process back into balance. So it's like that conflict, we'd, we'd say maybe the conflict between the head and the heart, whereas I know what I want to do but I haven't got the heart for it or my heart knows what it wants to do but, but I just can't, you know, or what my girlfriend, you know, my girlfriend will kill me if I do that so I'm just going to. But that conflict in, in the body occurs as organic pathologies which I can often feel on the table and go, wow, geez, you're so tight in the gallbladder, right. So there's obviously some maybe so or you know there's some decision making and and and, and people go oh yeah right exactly you know that's exactly what's going on 
But while we're talking about this and working on this, I'm doing physio on them. So using manual techniques to loosen up because the gallbladder and meridian travel around the hip, you know, physio techniques to loosen up the hips and do shiatsu. I'm working on the acupressure points. You know, I'm doing hold, relax, PNF, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation techniques. On, you know, so there's no separation between that physio and the Chinese medicine. But having the two systems just gives you much a much much deeper approach than just like doing a release on someone's tight ITB or their hip. And and probably the physio helps people take that step that might be a bit iffy about, you know, jumping de- to a, de- a different area. Yeah. Definitely. People think, oh, he's a physio. He can't be too much of a weirdo. <laughs> little, little do they know. <laughs> well, uh, the next step then on that journey uh, that I'd like to touch on, is Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method and how you got into that and, you know, how you're finding uh, being a facilitator in, in that method. Yeah, the Wim, the Wim Hof, that's it, it's such a gift. Wim, Wim's an incredible person and I've been lucky enough to um, meet him and do the courses with him and, and, and hang out with him. He's, he's come to the clinic and given him a, a, a treatment because I was dying to actually feel. This, this is a guy with 26 Guinness Book of World Records for incredible feats of, of, of human endurance. And, um, you know, I was pretty interested, you know, as a therapist to actually, what does the body of a superhuman feel like? like <laughs> this, this guy's climbed Mount Everest in his board shorts. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh. it's, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. And it was amazing to discover actually he's just normal. He's actually just normal. It's just through yeah. training. It's purely through, through mm-hmm. training. And so he's developed. Through, through doing these incredible feats, he's developed this uh, technique of, of breathing and cold exposure, which, which anyone can do, which has ex- extraordinary effects on the immune system, on pain, on inflammation in the body. Um, and the thing is, w- with Wim, I, did, I, I first met Wim because I actually I was so... I saw a pod, like video podcast with him and went, what is going on with this guy? This is something special. And so I actually just contacted the office, this is going back four or five years ago, and, um, and did a Skype interviewing like, like, we're, like we're doing. Yeah. And it was, just, it was just fantastic. And then when he came out to Australia for the first time, met him and did the course and, and then became an in, in, instructor. And so anyway, it's really worth looking into. I, I've used it for patients with, with, with lots of different issues, um, people with MS, rheumatoid arthritis diabetes you name it it's it's just it's such an incredibly helpful kind of practice that 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 anyone can do i've got i've got 86 year old patients doing it um people in with all sorts of level of health and we have to sort of change the the dosage of it around for for different people and you know some people jump straight into it some others you have to start it a bit more slowly and again, if you look up Wim Hof method and go to the Wim Hof site, there's there's free courses there. And you know, this, this guy is an incredible bloke. He he just wants to heal the world. Really, that's that's his mission, is to get as many people in the world as possible doing this this method because it's it's quite easy. I, I I've done it every single day for since I since I started, and it, and it was an extraordinary part of my healing from from cancer and cancer treatment and it's it's basically it's just it's basically just a sequence of deep breathing but there's something magic in it that he's found a way to actually trick 
trick the body into a, in, into shifting gears and 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 having a a, a a sort of a healing reaction, if you like. Anyway, I get quite evangelistic when I talk about it. I could go on about it for hours, but but probably um. I've, I've heard him on uh, Russell Brand on his podcast recently, and it was amazing. And um, oh, well, he's he's well, Wim, Wim's such, he's such a joker. He's an incredibly funny guy, and he sort of responds to to whoever he's talking to. So, so talking to Russell Brand, you're getting a much more um, frivolous and and out there, crazy kind of whim. Um, but the, the the Joe Rogan the Joe Rogan podcast is, is a really good one to check out because you know Joe Rogan's a bit bit more of a serious sort of cat. Yeah, because some of the stuff he says is is pretty out there. Is pretty out there, and you go, oh, okay, what is what's what's this guy about? But but actually, the the foundations of the practice is is absolute rock solid. It's it's one of the most um, valuable healing practices you could do in terms of ba- in terms of bang for your buck and bang for your time. I think this the the breathing exercises are are, are really everyone should be doing them. Really, is there it's, something really simple that? you could show us or lead us in now or is it something that's personalized uh there's a there's a basic te- there's a basic technique you you're better off to to look at whim doing it online um the only thing i suggest when when you see him doing it online it, it looks like hyperventilation where mm. you're taking <sighs> these really rapid deep breaths but actually the technique you can slow it down a lot more than that and if you can breathe in and out through your nose, it, it gives you a much more mellow um, sort of experience. Because a lot of my patients are, you know, because they're in in poor health or elderly or or, or sick, and um, they they do it and they go, oh, that's not for me. It was it, they find the sensation they're over breathing and hyperventilating. They find that sensation a bit too overpowering. But you can slow it down, and if you nose breathe and don't overdo the breathing. Um, you can make it a lot, a, a lot simpler. And it would be all about diaphragmatic breathing rather than the just. It, it seems like short and no, sharp. No, no, not necessarily. It's not... No, it's okay. it's full on. It's 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 full on breathing. It's it's like it, it's the opposite to relax. You know, like yoga shavasana at the end yeah. of the class, relaxation diaphragmatic. It's it's the opposite to that. It's actually it's to pump up the body. You basically just breathing, getting as much oxygen, just filling your body with oxygen and you do that deep breathing about 20, 30, 40 times until you're absolutely high as a kite because you, you, you've blown off a bit of carbon dioxide and your body's filled with oxygen. But like at, you can even, apparently you can even measure at the cellular level that you actually increased your oxygen level at the mitochondrial level and then you hold your breath on a breath out for as long as possible. and the magic happens that at the end of that breath hold where your, your, your oxygen levels in your bloodstream plummet before the carbon, usually the carbon, rising carbon dioxide level is a trigger to breathe. And there's more about in the Take a Breath podcast, there's a podcast called The Mysterious Tale of CO2, which talks about carbon dioxide and it goes into the science of breathing. But, yeah, it's, it's, he's worked out a way of actually tricking the body with this combination of, of hyperventilating and breath holding where the, the body d- tricks into releasing, uh, releasing adrenaline and suppressing inflammation in the body. It's basically preparing the body 
putting the body into a sort of a healing crisis almost. And then you, that that's there's a sort of sequence of breathing that you do and you do a few rounds of that. It takes you about, probably takes you about 10 to 20 minutes to do three rounds of breathing to com- sort of which, which is what we'd recommend and, and you do that, generally do that a couple of times a day. Um, and there's a free app. Like the whole thing is on the you know, on this app for free, which is an, an incredible resource. Like at first, I thought, you know, with my cynical brain, I thought, oh, this guy's just making a fortune, is in it for money. But I, honestly, I have never met anyone in my life, except maybe some Buddhist monks, who are less interested in money. Like this guy's absolutely, you know, couldn't care less. He he actually just wants everyone to be happy, healthy, and strong. Like using these techniques. Yeah, so when you look at it, you, you know, a lot of people are cynical about it, but uh, I can assure as, as as far as I can see and I, I, I've got to know Wim pretty well, that there, there is no hidden agenda, you know, like he's a really very compassionate fella who just wants to spread this technique. And as I said, I, I, I could go on about it. And, and the different experiences I've had with patients and with people at the workshops because it, it's, it's, it's a fantastic thing. So hopefully... Come out of lockdown, and you you could join us. Yeah, you're welcome to come come along, and join us in oh, in one I'd, of the workshops. We'd love love to have you. I'd I'd love anyway, I'd absolutely love that. Um, and, and then and, we jump. And then we jump in what the the Yarra in the in the ice bar in the ice bar. I've thought about. <laughs> I'm 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 just yeah. I, I go walking on the Yarra. I'm just down the road. I've thought about it, but it's it's flying pretty fast at the moment. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> Don't want to be swept away, no. and probably not cold enough potentially. Um, no. uh, on that note, how how would people find you? I, I've got one more question to ask uh, after this, but you know, if people want to follow some of your work, listen to your podcast, you know, join a class, what's the best way to find you and, and your work? So, the Center of Health Ivanhoe, long clunky URL, but if you look up Matt Radford Physio or Matt Radford. Chinese medicine in Ivanhoe, you'll find Centre of Health. And on our website, is a, there's a Wim Hof page on our website, which has got all our upcoming Wim Hof activities and stuff. We should be having a weekend away now, Wim Hof weekend, which we're really looking forward to, but that's, that's not happening for a while. And then uh, takeabreath.com.au is where our podcasts are. So we're not quite as diligent as you, mate. We um. We've, the technical stuff got got the better of us. So anyway, we've, we've got the podcast. We've still got a few that we never managed to get edited, but we're, we're pretty proud of the ones we, we had up. There's Dr. Craig Hassett also interview, which was fantastic, who's one of the sort of leading world world leaders in, in mindfulness and, and mindfulness as medicine, who's an associate professor at Monash Uni. And that's just, that was, that was great talking with him. So yeah, it's been fantastic. It's been fantastic having a chat. Hope I didn't go too round and round. In it's been brilliant, and, and I thank you for your time. I do uh, finish all my podcasts with this question, which is uh, based on the name of the podcast. So, have you either through this conversation or recently had a moment of clarity that you'd like to share with us today? Well, I think that one of the themes today, I think, was that responsibility that that ability to respond and I think if we all think about and me for myself my ability to be able to how can I respond in the most beautiful joyous compassionate helpful way in this moment that's it Mm. 
That's wonderful. No, I love it. Matt, thank you for your time. It's It's been a while, but it's been an absolute pleasure and we've gone through so much in there that, yeah, I know a lot of people will take a lot away from, so, so thank you. Oh, pleasure. It was, yeah, great. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.